Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a full crew here in the studio. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning. Brian. Morning, Brad. Bob. Hello, guys. And Philip. Hello. So we've got a, a couple great listener questions today. One related to seed stock producers or purebred producers and what are some of the health challenges they face that might be a little bit different. And then we've got a question on starting calves and some of the rations that may be best to get those calves started eating after weaning, as well as Dustin has some questions for us, but I'm not worried about that because I've been studying Dustin, so I should, should be up on those. Before we jump into that, we are jumping into football season. So I wanted to ask you guys, if you're building a football team, you can pick one position that you want, and you can't can't be quarterback, because that might be the easy answer, but you're gonna have the best player at one position. Tell me what position beside quarterback is most important to you. Oh, wow, so I think the offensive line is the most important, but that's more than one person. But I'm, I, I never answered the question you ask anyway, so I'm gonna say <laughs> the offensive line. Okay, Philip. I'm thinking middle linebacker. Okay, middle linebacker, Brian? Oh, uh, I agree with Bob. I mean, just look at what people pay money for. It's quarterbacks and left tackles. So I'll go offensive line. Yeah, but he was even – he actually – Oh, he yeah, he's a little more specific. Left tackle. Left tackle. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. 85 Bears. Yeah. <laughs> the Bears. <laughs> no, I'm going to go with kicker because who won the Big 12 last year? Kicker. kicker. Oh, we just got cut. <laughs> and uh, who won the Super Bowl last yeah. year? Yeah. So, uh, is there is there any bias here, Dustin? Nope. No. Yeah. <laughs> he has an affinity for kickers. Yeah. So that's all right. So that's a that's a good place to start. You can't build it with just one person, but you have it. You have a team there around it. But interesting to get your thoughts on that. Most people, except Philip, went offense. Philip mm -hmm. Philip knows defense wins. Yeah, it's true. So <laughs> he's he's ahead of you guys. So we had a, a great listener question, and, and the question was. We're going to wean some calves and we're going to start them in a dry lot pen with an inline bunk. And the specific question was related to hay feeding for these calves. And should we put out some round bales or should we grind the hay and put it directly into the bunk? And Philip, the way I read the question, and, and we can take it a different direction as we go later, but the way I read the question, this would be just ground hay in the bunk versus a bale in the pen. Uh, no other feed mixed in at this point. So w what are your thoughts? Well, so there's things to think about as far as trade-offs there. So from a nutrition standpoint, if we put that just a long stem hay round bale in the um, pen and let calves eat on the bale, they're going to be obviously chewing long and eating long stem hay. So the passage of that feed through the digestive tract is going to be slower. And so the digestion of that hay is going to be more extensive. We're going to digest more of it versus if I grind it, if I grind it, I got smaller particle size. It's, it's going to break down a little faster in the rumen. So it's going to pass out of the rumen and down the digestive tract faster. I'm not going to digest as much of it, but the, the animal is going to digest the easily digestible parts quickly and it's going to pass on through. And because it passes on through faster, the animal can consume more. And so they're actually going to consume more energy on a daily basis with the ground hay, but they're going to be going through that hay faster than they would if they were, you know, going to use more hay than if it was a round bale. 
Yeah, but it, it seems to me, based on my experience, that they would waste a lot less. So they're, it, it's kind of where is the waste coming from? Is the waste in what you what I'm understanding mm. you saying is if you grind the hay, maybe a little bit more waste coming through the manure, you know, yeah. digest some some nutrient value that wasn't digested so it comes through the manure, or I waste it out in the pen where I'm stomping down the, the long horn long stem hay that doesn't get eaten yeah so one of the advantages of grinding it is by chewing up the mechanically chewing up the like coarse material in there and the more stimmy stuff which cattle will eat it better they won't be as picky in that situation as if you just let them pick through the bale on their own how much does this vary based on the quality of the hay so if i have really good hay versus moderate to poor hay the change between grinding and long stem is going to be greater with lower quality hay because it takes longer to digest lower quality hay and so because it moves through the rumen faster with if you grind it then that decrease in digestibility is going to be much greater with grinding it than with um, long stem hay so I'm not going to talk about nutrition because I don't know anything about nutrition. But, I mean, the big obvious downside is the cost of the equipment mm. and the time, right? And so – but if this is – and we didn't get a lot of history from this question. But if this is something they already have the equipment or they're already doing, then, yeah, it sounds like it's kind of a go for it. But if if it was somebody asking, should I buy this – should I buy a bale grinder or should I start this? Then the answer is maybe not quite such a sure. Yeah, I'd do mm. that. Especially if you're using it just to start calves. Now, if you were using it for lots of, I mean, if you're incorporating it into a ration, mm. is your answer different? So let's say I'm feeding them a ration and it may be a limit fed ration, but I've got a mix of something and I'm thinking about, should I, feed the ground hay separate can i incorporate it together if i have a feed wagon or a mixer does it matter um if i've got a mixer wagon then i'm going to mix my diet together as a tmr and feed it that way now starting the calves i might put some long stem hay in the bunk to get them started because if i mix that ground hay with some other feed stuffs that they're not familiar with they may not take to it as quickly so i would put some long stem hay in the bunk and then put that mixed ration on top. Um, but, but if I've got the ability to mix all my ingredients together, I'm going to do that because it's going to improve the feed efficiency of those calves. Yeah, absolutely. And But you, you want to – so did I hear what you're saying correctly? So let's say I don't have a grinder and I'm starting calves. Now let's just take that scenario and say long stem hay in the bunk or can I just put a bale out? Well, so you got to break them to the bunk. They got to know that there's feed in the bunk. And so lots of times if you just dump the concentrate portion of their diet in the bunk, they can't see it in there. It's down below the edge of the bunk. They don't know it's in there. They're not used to looking for it in there. So I would probably even still put some long stem hay in the bunk before I put a big round bale in there to get them to come to the bunk and learn to eat out of that bunk a little bit for two, three days and then I would put a, a, a round bale in there, and then I can still put the concentrate part in the fence line bunk. Yeah, because then you're good. Once yeah, because they you, know it's there. The only reason you're putting it in the bunk is not about feed efficiency or anything like that. It is, how about we help you find the bunk? Uh-huh, and if I know that there's feed in this bunk to, to come up to. 
Yeah, and you guys have really already said it, but to me, there's a little bit of a difference. Are we talking about getting the calves started, or are we talking about, well, they've started, and now I'm trying to deliver their, their nutrients? Mm-hmm. In that, to me, you know, so what my brain goes to is, well, to get them started, I want, first of all, I'm going to try to choose my highest quality uh, forage, you know, you know, a lot of leaf, you know, really a good quality forage to get them to come to the bunk. And then, you know, and, and as a veterinarian, I don't have a strong preference between leaving it kind of as a long stem versus grinding it. But what, yeah, I agree with you totally. Once they're on feed, I really like the opportunity to grind the hay and mix it with my concentrates so that I can kind of control the, the, the mix of mm-hmm. things that they're eating. But that's a little bit different than when I'm first starting them. Yeah, because when, I mean, if you just give them free choice hay and then you put supplement out or the concentrate in the bump, you don't know that each calf is eating the correct proportion of each, and most likely they're not. And so if I have the opportunity to mix everything together, then I can get each calf to eat, in general, the right proportion. They'll sort a little bit, but it's going to be better than if they're separate. So we really like these bale grinders except for their cost and labor. Yeah, you got to have enough volume of calves, put it that way, to make the bale grinder pay. Dust oh, is yeah. the other thing. <laughs> that is true. You got to be sure you know which way the wind is blowing. So <laughs> not toward the house on that day. So I think there's some good options there, but it, but if I'm summarizing your recommendations, Philip, you're saying when we start out, put a little long stem hay in the bunk to get them coming up with your feed or supplement at least for a few days. And then if you have the option of grinding the hay and putting it in the bunk, great. If not, putting a bale in the pen at that point, but it's there's no way for me to monitor intake, but I can monitor how many bales I'm delivering, how often, and how much feed I'm taking out there to give me an idea for the pen as a whole. Is that, mm-hmm. did I catch everything yeah. you said? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, excellent. So great question. As always, if you have questions, you can send them to us at, at bci at ksu.edu. We enjoy listening to those and having a chance to visit with you through either email or through the podcast. Dustin, I know you've got questions, and you can submit them at bci at ksu.edu. <laughs> we'll address them in time. <laughs> All right, so today's questions, uh, there was a report put out by the USDA Economic Research Service recently titled The Structure management practices and production cost of U.S. beef cow-calf farms. Uh, the report, we'll put a link in the show notes, that way if you want to look at it. But there's a lot of information here, so we might uh, use this for several sets of questions. That's just a hint that you can go out and So the first one, and of course they'll, they ask lots of questions, the big survey, but they break it out across regions, uh, they break it out by type of operation. So the first question, we're just going to go with uh, by region. So there's five regions. There's North Central, Southeast, Northern Plains, Southern Plains, and the West. Okay. okay? So we're going to talk about just uh, the average inventory per farm. So how many uh, how many beef cows? The average is what, 40, 45-ish? Or so? for, for the whole country. For the whole country. Yeah. But let's break these out by what's what region has the largest on average inventory? Uh, I would assume the West. Northern Plains. Oh, so we got three different answers. And we all think we're right. I'm saying West. I'll say West. West, what'd you say? Southern Plains. Northern Plains. So there's 
technically it's the northern plains with 109 but statistically it's not different than the west at 103. so technically i won (laughs) (laughs) i don't like that statistically you didn't (laughs) all right so there's one question now i want to flip to we're going to break them out by uh, type of operation so there's cow calf only so you sell the calves at weaning you got cow calf stalker or you got cow calf finisher so you would basically finish them all the way there's a whole bunch of different technologies management practices production systems labor etc and so the question that i want to start with we're going to do a nutrition question here uh, for philip what percent of cow calf only operations use a nutritionist to help design their ration it's a very it's a pretty small number i'm going to say 15 percent four no no i'm going to get a little bit more 25 i'll say five brad seriously did study <laughs> yeah it was four oh, <laughs> stalkers were 11 and then the cow calf finisher was 17 uh well, see that's what i was thinking of was yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so we're going to do they get two more of these we'll do a so we've talked about traceability quite a bit in the past. We've had folks on from U.S. Cattle Trace. And so individual cow-calf production records, what percent, uh, and these all are statistically the same number, I guess, but what percentage roughly is uh, with the operations, what percent of operations do an individual cow-calf production record? Hmm. I could be a little bit ignorant on this one, or wrong. Let's just say I could be wrong. I'm going to say 50%. I'll say 33. I was, yeah, I'll say 40. I was thinking somewhere in that ballpark. 27. Uh, it ranges from 47 to 66, or so roughly 50, a little 50. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take that as a win. Now, if you were to say on-farm computers to manage records, oh. what would that be? Ooh. 20. Hmm. I don't know. It's got to be higher. It's going to be higher. I'll say, yeah. average I'll age say, of 30, the I'll say 33. I'll say 69. You're in a rut there. Uh, so uh, what'd you say? 69. Of the people that, so is this of all operations or of the people that have individual cow records? I'll, I'll give you all three of them, like the three different cow-calf only, stalker, and the finisher. Mm-hmm. But it's of all people. Oh, this is going to be of all people who, yeah. We're no, so okay. your 69 is so a little yeah. high since only 50% keep records. So Still got a computer. Uh, all right. I'm going to say uh, 25%. Man, Bob must have been studying too. <laughs> yeah. 25% for cow-calf only, 29 for stalker, and uh, 45 for cow-calf finisher. Hmm. That, that I, like again, that kind of makes <laughs> <like 30 laughs> So now I want to come and talk about some technology use. And so we've got two here. I guess we'll say three. Well, we'll, we'll do four. Four different categories. How about five? No, we're <laughs> going to do four. Just four. Artificial insemination. What percent of cow-calf only use artificial insemination? See, this is a little bit tricky only, because... Is it only AI or is it AI as part of an overall breeding part, strategy? Yeah. It says AI. And the next question I was going to ask, embryo transplant or sex semen. Okay. All right. Well, for AI, I'll say I'll say fifty. Fifty. I was going to go sixty. Oh no, it's not nearly that high. It's like six. Because well, and it also depends. There's a little bit. Maybe seven, six or seven. There's a little bit higher for heifers. You know, like I don't know, 
10 to 15 percent and then and then like five percent five percent accounts probably something like do you use ai yeah yeah what percentage of producers use it period seven percent it was they got listed here five percent yeah uh how about embryo transplants one or sex demon i'll say one percent yeah yeah that's really it's two Uh, another technology be implanting calves at weaning Hmm. two-thirds 40%. 40%. Yeah, I'm going yeah, to say 30. 50. 6. What? Oh. Wean calves implanted. Oh. 6 yeah. percentage 6% of producers? Of the so then yeah. you'd have to be keeping them past weaning. Right. Do that, right. So it's uh, going to be a smaller, so you got to oh, say. Yeah. Implant I didn't. at weaning. So oh, I was thinking implant weaning. before weaning, okay. like a nursing yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. And the last one, it says, do you, or basically regularly scheduled veterinary services? What percent of cow calf use regularly scheduled veterinary services? Again, it kind of depends on what, what all falls into that, but I'm going to say 60%. I'd say 50. I was going to say 48.5. Wow. 40. Brian's closest, 17%. Oh. Uh, the regular well, again, schedule, it did, regularly scheduled is that well, once right. a year? Is that well, and then also things like are they thinking health versus like preg checking? That percentage is higher, and I was counting that as a regular scheduled but veterinary it, visit. Yeah, mm. but there but there's still opportunities there, and, and hopefully whether it's we talked about veterinarians, nutritionists using some of those outside experts, and with any of those, I think planning as part of that as part of your strategy can help improve your operation, but you have to pick individuals that are adding to the value of what you do, not adding to the cost. And so I I think that's a good segue there, Dustin, as we talk about some of those questions is to start thinking about what what do we do that adds value to operations rather than just an expense coming up. So I think good questions and we'll see more of those coming up. I'm gonna shift gears and we'll talk a little bit about seed stock producers. So this question came up and we actually had a student whose family has a seed stock operation, and they said, you guys never talk about seed stock on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about what are some of the maybe unique health or economic challenges or nutrition for seed stock operation. So I'm going to open it up pretty broadly, and Bob, you can start off with what are some of the unique health challenges? Well, one of the, the things that we think about is is it would be similar to a relatively closed commercial herd in that one of the things that I'm really going to pay attention to is how do I bring new animals onto the farm? Um, and I think that's important for any herd commercial or purebred, but with purebred, it, it's kind of just a absolute must have good, uh, biosecurity, bring animals. When you bring animals onto the farm, you can't mix them with the rest of the herd until they've been there for a while. You might do some diagnostic testing to make sure they're free of say BVD or other diseases. And so it's, it's not real different, or it's not greatly different than a, a commercial herd that's pretty closed, uh, but it becomes maybe a little more emphasis. I think, and back to Dustin's question, um, my, if I was working with a seed stock producer, I would set the expectation that veterinary interaction is going to be increased. Um, you know, we've, and again, we want to add value, but part of that is, you know, as a seed stock producer, you're, you're probably going to be doing more health certificates. You're probably, you may, I, I think of seed stock as 
commercial cow calf producer that is retaining ownership. That's the level of management you want, plus the additional repro stuff. And so we might be doing trichomoniasis testing and so on. The other thing that I think the expectation with a seed stock producer is the records are going to be a lot more. So we're, you know, we just heard the individual calf record management for commercial cow calf producers, low percentage of herds for seed stock producers. That's going to be much, much higher, right? Because part of what you're selling is animals, but part of what you're selling is information. And so that's why I think that would be my expectation. Yeah, absolutely. I think both those things are, are true. What about economics, Dustin? Because we know a lot of times our commercial operations are driven by selling calves at weaning and about maybe 15% of their income from selling cold cows. What about seed stock operations? What drives their business? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think actually Brian brought a really good point is the information, right? You've got to document that because, yeah, you're selling an animal, but you're also selling kind of the it's not just the animal, but it's the future, right? So what information do you have that shows that, that can document that, you know, this animal can deliver? Whether genetics or health or whatever, whatever else, you've got to be able to, to provide that information as well. Right. And we've had some good conversations in the past relative to EPDs, also genomics, genomic predictions, because what you're trying to do is get the best idea of what the genetics of that animal is in the future. Philip, what about on the nutrition side? Well, so um, I think it depends a little bit. So we think but nutrition is a large component of the environment. And so from a genetic selection standpoint, what am I selecting for? Am I going to select for animals that, are, that perform well in an optimal nutrition environment? Or am I going to select for animals in a nutritional environment that matches my customer's nutritional environment? So from a nutrition of a seed stock producer, I'm going to – it depends on what – what you're trying to do and what you're trying to sell. So um, you need to think about that as far as matching the nutritional environment of most of your commercial customers um, or you raising show stock or, you know, whatever, something like that, that you're going to feed a lot better. And so normally we're feeding them a little bit better anyway because we want them to look pretty good when we go to sell them. So we want them to have a little more uh, cover on and a little more flesh, but um, just remember that 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 is influencing your genetic selection and how that's going to work well for your customers. Well, and, and really, Brian said it, and, and so did Philip. One of the things with a purebred producer is they're they're like a commercial producer that retains ownership, but they're going to retain ownership on a high percentage of the heifers and bulls probably in many situations. So you've got a larger percentage of young animals on the ranch uh, for much of the year compared to a typical cow-calf producer that, that sells at some point at weaning or thereafter. And so you've got some of the nutritional challenges, both health and efficiency, as well as some of the health challenges of this relatively young animal, you know, so weaning to yearling to year and a half. Though we've got a lot of those animals on the ranch in a purebred operation, and there's not usually very many of those animals on a commercial operation. And so there's nutritional differences. There's some health issues that, that are a little bit more likely in that age group than in other age groups. Well, and I think what you mentioned too is you have, you may have animals at a um, different stages of the production cycle. So you'll have adult bulls, you'll have adult cows, you'll have yearlings, you might have cat, you might have all of those. And so you, one thing to think about, or you know, seed stock producers probably already know this is you're 
you're juggling more balls in the air than a regular commercial cow calf because you can't manage all of those the exact same way and get where you want to go. So it, you know, one of the things for seed stock producers is just being able to, to manage all those different at all the right stages that get them to optimal health and growth. The beauty is though, you get a control throughout the lifetime mm-hmm. in many of those cattle and you can put together a, a lifetime health program or at least for the amount of lifetime that you have them and on your operation. And I think both of you, well, everybody really said it, a lot of this is documentation, right? So you're gonna have documentation, you're gonna have records. And while some of those technologies that you talked about, Dustin, aren't deployed as frequently in commercial cow-calf operations, that changes dramatically if you move to the seed stock or purebred operation. So thanks for, the, thanks for that question. If you have other questions, topics, or things you'd like us to talk about, send us an email at bci.ksu.edu.